The topic of sustainability in the tourism industry is timely, as destinations and travelers increasingly value economic, social, and environmental sustainability. It is imperative that tourism professionals and policymakers share best practices to position the tourism industry for further growth and development. The Victoria Business Examiner wrote that in 2018. They were talking about the inaugural Impact Sustainability Travel and Tourism Conference. One of the three founding partners, one of the men behind the genesis of that important conference, was my friend Paul Nursey. No stranger to a challenge, Paul set out to develop the first conference of its kind. It would include representation from across the country and also from all industries and organizations working in collaboration to guide the development of a more sustainable and more restorative tourism industry. Three years later, the conference is an ongoing, smashing success. But this year, the concept of sustainability has taken on a whole new context in the shadow of the global pandemic that we have faced since early March. Paul is the former Director of Sales at Tourism Vancouver, the former VP Strategy at Destination Canada, and the current CEO of Destination Greater Victoria. He's a bright light in the industry, a passionate thinker, and a person who gets things done. Today, we sit down to talk about the new meaning of sustainability in an industry ravaged by crisis. Make no mistake, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but we're going to have to work for it. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning, David. How are you? I'm good. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm doing pretty well, thanks. All things considered, I'm, I'm doing well. Good. Where are you and what's it like there right now? I'm in my office. Our office is reopened on a limited basis uh, in Victoria downtown and it's nice and sunny. Um, we just came off of Canada today with about 20% hotel occupancy, which is uh, um, normally we're 90 plus. So it's a, it's a very different feel around here. A very different feel indeed. I, I want to talk really focus on one area of what you do. And, and I admire what you do in so many different areas of tourism. You and I have known each other for a number of years. Um, your, your work on marketing, your work on strategy. But today I want to talk about sustainability because I think you've really opened a dialogue on sustainability. But I think most of us in the world still think of sustainability in terms of its ecological, ecological component. Um, tell us a little bit about the genesis of, of the conference itself, and then we'll, we, can, we can talk more about how we have to broaden our, our perspective uh, on sustainability. Sure, absolutely, David. And I, and I just want to say that I don't consider myself an expert in sustainability or sustainability in tourism, but it was something I was kind of forced into. Uh, when I arrived here in Victoria, it's a very unique place, as, as many of our um, uh, destinations are. And it kind of gets ready to Jack Johnson talks about, about being a shared community value, that you have to be aligned with the values of the community that you serve. And what I learned here um, when in Landy in 2014 is that there's a business community here and also um, a citizen, citizenry, I guess you would call it, the citizens expect sustainability. Um, it, it was largely framed through uh, environmental sustainability but indigenous um, rights and indigenous participation has become increasingly important um, and as has equity and social justice. So really what it comes down to is, is the visitor economy really serving the community? Um, is tourism as we know it or the meeting sector actually driving the benefit to the whole and not just a few? And how can we create a framework 
so that our, our industry is welcomed as part of a contributing uh, fabric of this of the society year round. And so that was a gap in 2014, 2015. We had areas of conflict. Um, you know, we had, um, for example, we had a cruise sector which was supported by very old motor coaches because motor coaches could only operate a few months of the year and there wasn't a business model and all that type of stuff. And it caused a lot of tension. So what we st struck out to do was to kind of take those, those, some of those academic ideas around sustainability and bring them to the street level. And that's a hard thing to do. And uh, that was the original genesis. Um, and it took me a few minutes to get in, a few years to get into that. So that, that's a really interesting point you, you make. When you land in, in Victoria in 2014, you, you call yourself not an expert in sustainability, but I call you an autodidactic who can learn just about anything as quick as anybody I know. Um, it's interesting to land in Victoria because all those forces that you talked about, um, you know, uh, uh, a pressure from the community to be sustainable, especially to be environmentally sustainable, that is endemic to Victoria. And I don't think at the same time in 2014, the rest of the country was thinking along those same lines, were they? Not in a mainstream fashion. And what was where I drew inspiration from was the small businesses community here and our members. And uh, they were already doing it as a matter of principle. And it was just the ethos. And it took me about six months. And also our business partners. And, um, you know, I, I have three business partners in the Impact Sustainability Tourism Conference. And they were practicing that way, whether they were a marketing communications agency or a carbon accountant or consultancies or even an event planner and they were already behaving in that manner so i knew as a dmo that we were out of touch and i was sitting here in my seat going holy cow i see the freight train of regulation coming our way you know in a year two three years and stuff's going to be imposed upon us if we don't take control of this agenda ourselves from an industry driven perspective and make it really collaborative so we really were facing pressure and i think we created something quite special you created created something quite special in response to the, the situation you found yourself in Victoria. When did it become apparent to you that um, Victoria was really just the canary in the mine shaft and that the rest of us in, in, in North America, in the world, needed to, to face this more head on and actually um, make it part of our strategic planning, not just on a um, environmental, but on a social and economic level as well? Absolutely. So I think there was two or three different things that were happening. Uh, let's call it uh, 2015, 2016, 2017. We started uh, hearing more and more about climate emergencies and governments declaring climate emergencies. We started hearing more and more about um, governments uh, looking at taking legal action against um, uh, carbon producers. And con concurrently, we heard more and more about the percentage of contribution of carbon of our industry, particularly the transportation sector. And then you wonder about, you know, what is our long-term social license? So that was happening on one track. Then we started hearing on another track, this whole idea about, um, you know, and Greg Oates speaks a lot about this, kind of the, um, the equity and the division of the revenue equitably among a community. So that, that was bubbling as well, too. And you started popping, seeing it popping up all around the world. Um, as we went through this period of intense growth, um, you started hearing words like over-tourism, and then that started talking about carrying capacity and, Everything kind of spilt from there, and uh, our industry became a very easy target. But we knew what we were well-intentioned. We just didn't know how to translate it, um, execute, and then tell that story and keep learning. It's really interesting because if you look at your progression over the next, over the last 
six years, basically, and you look at the parallel progressions in five key areas of tourism development, and, and you referenced Jack Johnson and Greg Oates. So let me, let me run down those. Advocacy has come to the forefront as an essential component of what a destination organization needs to do. Stakeholder engagement is irrefutably a key tenant of DMOs. Digital excellence, we've, we've all realized that we are nowhere near as excellent in, in that technology as the technology presents its capabilities to us as. Um, destination development and alignment. I'm going I'm to put to you, I see those five things as a Venn diagram with an overlap in the middle. And I'm starting to think that the word in the middle that fits is sustainability. Yeah, I agree. Sustainability or community engagement. And I think they're interchangeable because based on the values of the community, um, I learned very quickly that I certainly didn't want our organization to be part of just a fringe of business people that wanted to kind of profit off of the back of the community. Right? We need broad community acceptance. We need broad community support. And that's what our members wanted too. And it's up to the DMO to coalesce that. And um, so I think you're right. And I think what was lacking um, was our ability to create a framework around it and how to action it. So that's the work that we've been trying to do over the last three or four years. And it's still a work in progress. And I think other destinations are doing better than Victoria. But I think it's a journey. And I think if you're legitimately and genuinely on that journey as a servant leader, I think, you know, most people will, will take that walk with you. So when you when you started that inaugural conference, was it more weighted to environmental sustainability? I certainly that was how it pricked up our ears in the industry. We heard sustainability. We had preconceived notions. Did it move from that to a broader context? Talk about its progression over the last three years. Yeah, it absolutely did. It was a very green conference to start. And then I think what we really got into was social, um, and specifically with the influence of Keith Henry and Indigenous Tourism Canada, and he's a tremendous leader in, a, in our space. And then we got into really kind of cool stuff like operations and how this is actually a good business proposition. And what I really like about that conference and the learnings that have come from it, uh, the Impact Sustainable Tourism Conference, that we weren't afraid to tackle the difficult issues, such as having discussions around crews. And, uh, how, you know, but we also had some of the most inspiring uh, discussions around uh, our youth panel and basically woke us all up and said, we're your future employers, we're your future customers, listen to us. So it was a real sense of urgency and it wasn't just kind of technical um, uh, green sustainability, which I'm really happy with, but it has been an evolution. And what we really want to focus on is, is practical takeaways. And that's why we publish a paper every year afterwards. So. Um, it certainly has a more broad um, component to it, and uh, it's been a fascinating journey so far. So you talked about Greg Oates. Greg was on an earlier show, and he he held up as a model of alignment um, the work that you and, and, and your organization and your peers and Mayor Helps has been doing yeah. uh, as, as a best practice on the continent for taking the civic priorities and the tourism priorities and bringing them together in a way that residents could embrace and understand them. Talk about your work with the, with, with the, with the civic body there for a second. Yeah, so thanks, David. And, and Greg is right. I mean, I think what we've had to realize is that, you know, Victoria's a city's are, um, evolving. We used to be kind of an old England, kind of a, a ticky-tacky tourist town, but now we're very much a tech and particularly a marine tech uh, community. You know, we're on an ocean, we have a big port, and we're really focusing our meeting strategy around um, the, the ocean marine sector and the technology sectors. That's really easy to create alignment. And we do have a very dynamic mayor who now understands tourism. You know, she, she only viewed tourism when she, I think she first got into office. It's kind of through that lens of mass tourism. She doesn't understand li lines like 
you know, um, uh, business events and meetings. She didn't understand um, the, the work that we do in terms of um, seasonality and filling in those gaps and focusing on those high yield segments that create that brand halo. So we started aligning our brand and our messaging and our sales proposition uh, to the civic priorities, the synergies developed. And I won't say there aren't tensions. There are still kind of more, more uh, folks on the city council who are a bit more extreme in their views. Uh, but I think it's a matter of uh, destination organizations of listening. We can't just impose ourselves on the community. We have to listen to what the priorities are. And in the broad suite of tools that we have, you know, how can we create those wins that benefit our government partners and also our commercial partners, our hotels, our members, and everything else like that. And there's lots of space to create that common ground. You, you talk about the organization serving the destination, but I also want to talk a little bit about how DMMOs or destination organizations or whatever we want to call them in this day and age can actually be um, leaders and harbingers of change. Yeah. I have watched, I've watched brand um, um, aligned um, halo type work come out of Victoria consistently. Yeah. The exciting one for me was the first commercial electric airplane flight. Yeah. 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 We have, you know, so our, our, our seaplane company, Harbor Air, which is a Victoria Vancouver car company, um, you know, is, is pioneering electric flight and it's almost like a new generation of aviation and that's innovation that's driven here in our part of the world, along with a Seattle based engine company. Uh, we have the world's largest, it's only six, six locations. But it's, it's a completely carbon neutral and waste free uh, fast food burger chain called Big Wheel Burger. And it's fantastic. If anyone ever comes to town, I'll take them there. It's amazing food. And you wouldn't even know that it's completely green, but it is. And that's just how we roll here in Greater Victoria. So if our brand and our proposition and our positioning isn't about that, then when the visitors arrive, they're going to get a different experience. And we're really proud of that, right? So. Yeah. Oh, and you should be. So, you know, Amir Elon from Longwoods International, Amir was talking on the show about the halo effect and the, and the right. early work, the early work they did in, in Michigan and how, how integral the, the tourism brand um, media was to convince in convincing people that Michigan was a great place to live. It's almost like Victoria has gone one step further. And it's, if you follow Victoria's brand and it's, and it's brand really does reflect the destination well, then you're likely to show up wanting an electric, electric airplane ride, aren't you? We, well, we are. And fortunately, unfortunately, there's only one and it's not certified yet, but we do have a lot of electric vehicles. But I think what we try to do without being preachy about it is that you can learn something here. And whether that be in the meetings and convention space or in your own way of life, our hotels are all practicing these types of uh, um, uh, practices and our food uh, sector is, our whale watchers are all about learning and science. So it's just something that we've embraced. We have a sustainability committee. It's a very basic thing, but we all get together about how we're marching together towards achieving those goals. And that's the role of the DMO or the DO is to kind of mobilize your community and to march towards a common objective. And that's what we're trying to do. Well, and on that halo effect piece, it's not just, you know, the tourist says, oh, I like sustainable destinations. It is actually inviting an immigrant who's looking for that style of life to come here and find that style of life and contribute to it, isn't it? Yeah, immigrant, foreign direct investment, uh, business relocation, that whole piece is there. Um, it also, surprisingly, it really helps with sports bids as well, too. Um, you know, these sports organizations are very concerned about um, their reputation. And it's very, very helpful in the meetings and convention space.
So when we talk about sustainability, sometimes there's a, there's a little gasp as the air goes out of the room and people think, oh my gosh, this is my product plus 20% of costs. It's going to be hard, et cetera. But I want to go back to the early days, you know, when you came into Taurus Vic, you brought in a balanced scorecard approach. Yeah. Yeah. and then you decided that your, you know, your your focus in increasing occupancy would be would be central. So I think in one in 2018, you've grown by more than 10 percent from 2014 in your key season. But then you also worked on shoulder seasons, and I yeah. mean that's an obvious in tourism. But I imagine before you put to work on it, you built alignment around those as goals. Talk to me about that. Yeah, and that's what they asked me to when I started as CEO, right? So I think um, I think the reason I was hired is I, I I was a balanced scorecard guy. I understood what strategy was and how to translate strategy. So at our first re- retreat, we talked about you know, how do we grow but also be sustainable. I think the obvious point of that is to you know spread across seasons, and then as we got fuller and fuller, and that's not a problem these days, but hopefully it will be again in a few years. Uh, regional dispersion as well too throughout the region so so visitors will go to kind of um less trafficked areas as they were in the past so we 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 just found that as we we actually embraced what we call revpar strategy was about revenue over just um mass tourism increasing yield and that's not rocket science many destinations have done that but we started that in, in 14. but to achieve that we needed a premium brand built around core principles that someone could believe in and sustainability is part of it as is technology, and then leverage that as part of our proposition in all channels. So we have a Victoria that between 14 and 20 has grown really well in terms of not just its performance, but its perception in the world as, as a leader in sustainability, in, in sustainability, not just in green tech and, and uh, um, environmental sustainability, but, but social and economic, you get whammed with this crisis. I mean, yeah. I think if, if I'm not mistaken, you'd only just finished the conference and, and it was yeah. two or three weeks later that COVID-19 hit. Yeah. But yeah, so the conference was in January. So I guess about, yeah, maybe about six weeks later, it wasn't long. Yeah. So you go from a, you know, an, an admirable position in the whole strata of Canadian tourism to being really severely hobbled and, may, and maybe hobbled even more than other destinations because let's not forget you are an offshore island and that has a whole bunch of, of other implications. So in that world where you're, you know, where you're thinking like Paul Nursey and you're, you're also thinking in terms of you know, you've got your sustainability hat on, what happened? What did sustainability mean to you? Did it shift? Was it the same thing with different focus? Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, so we, we've we've gotten back together our committees and our board, and I think we understand that we have an opportunity to build back better. Um, I think you know the other thing, um, our geographic situation. We are on an island, so and we're a secondary city, so most of our air routes were cut, our ferry services were cut. So we actually know that we're in we're in for a very long haul here. We're 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 cut down to the bone, and we're going to have to grow back organically. Um, so it's going to be a long, long slog here. So we have the opportunity to build back deliberately, and but what won't be there was all the frothy revenue that was there because these sustainability initiatives, like really expensive electric motor coaches and retrofits of hotels and attractions, that takes revenue, that takes capex, right? That's a big, big investment by the private sector. So this is a, those are discussions that we have to have with our government partners in the months and years ahead, is if we want to achieve these common objectives, the funding model is gonna to have to be flexible uh because for the last three or four years 
um, we've been able to afford it uh, based on executing a strategy because when we were a four month a year destination, we become a, a 10 month a year destination. Um, you know, motor coach companies can afford that fancy new electric bus, uh, but now they can't. And so in fact, they're, they're struggling to stay alive. So those are the types of realization that we have to come to. The objectives will stay the same. Uh, the pathway may have to evolve. So the, the 2021 uh, Impact Sustainability Conference is already on the books. It's ready to yeah. go. I imagine you will be tweaking that agenda right to the end. What do you think will be different this year? I mean, we've got people coming from all over the United States and Canada, mm -hmm. some from around the world. Um, it's going to be a very different conference, isn't it? It is going to be a very different conference. So we have the date booked. We're not sure if we're, we're actually allowed to have a, a convention yet because there's rules of 50 or more. So maybe virtual and maybe a hybrid. Um, but certainly by 2022, we hope to have the full full thing going ahead. We are planning on it right now. And I think I think the key word that we're all hearing about is resiliency. You know, mm -hmm. that is the key thing that we have to build into our whole system is resiliency and then more aspirationally down the, down the line, regeneration. You know, what are we doing to contribute to get back so that we actually leave our environment and our society uh, better than we found it? And, um, you know, we have taken a pause here and, and there is an opportunity to think about these types of things. So expand on that word resiliency. It gets tossed around a exactly. lot. Um, it, it has different meanings to different people, but in the context of destination management and sustainable tourism practices, how would you define resiliency? Well, uh, maybe I won't define it, maybe describe. And so to okay. me, resiliency means that a business and an ecosystem of businesses and an ecosystem of not-for-profit societies such as ours, which really firms up the, um, the ecosystem of, of tourism, um, is, is, has, a, has a more interwoven fiber. You know, right. it's tighter so that it's, it's, it's harder to, to fray apart. So what we do, we need to be more deliberate to link all the different pieces together, um, to link them together, uh, to understand everyone's role, uh, what our common objectives are, back to balance scorecard, what are those KPIs. And right now for the first next month or two, our KPIs are not going bankrupt, right? So that's what we're facing immediately. But as we get through this and as we build back up, how can we be stronger so that something like this doesn't, doesn't blow us apart again in the future? You and I, uh, I think uh, we share a friend, you know, Signe Jungersted, yeah. from Copenhagen. I think you and I were there uh, 2017 when she talked mm -hmm. about um, localhood. That was the new word yeah. she coined, yeah. localhood. Yeah. And it was Copenhagen's response to the fact that they were seeing a disconnect between visitors and yeah. uh, uh, locals. But when they when they actually researched them, what they found out was their their priorities and their values were actually highly aligned it was a perception that's right, that's right. so what's what's the perception um by the local in, Vic, in victoria of the traveler of the of the incoming traveler so that's the work that we need to do because what i'm trying to do is make sure that the locals benefit you know so when someone gets off a cruise ship and we are canada's largest port cruise of call i want to make sure they're going to the local farmer market and purchasing there you know, so we, we still need to move away from what I would call mass tourism into more mm -hmm. of um, niche tourism on the leisure side. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there still is a disconnect and we need to work over the next couple of years to bring those two values together. Um, but 
Um, a good place to start is that we do have about 98% support of the industry because people understand its contribution. Um, I think they would like to see it evolve a bit further, but we are already on that path. And I think our residents and our elected officials do see that, uh, but I think we need to accelerate that journey. So I'm going to, I'm going to make you put an old hat on for a minute here. You're back at the CTC. And the and... What was that? The Canadian Tourism Commission, yeah. Was, yeah I think, sorry, did I just call it, sorry, I meant to call it Destination Canada. Oh, okay. It's all good. I'm betraying my age. Sorry. Yes, Paul is correct. It's the Canadian Tourism Commission became Destination Canada. Um, but I think when you were there, it was the CTC. Yes. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. So as we look towards recovery, and you talked about specifically about the fact that Tourism is a absolutely vital industry in Canada. It's one of our largest contributors to GDP. And you talked about the necessity of government to support tourism in, in order to bring that vital industry back. Um, at a national level, what would you be advocating for and how would we be doing it? You know, I think at a, at a, at a national level, if we do truly want to make this industry sustainable, it's, I'm just going to go back to what, what um, I talked about earlier. There needs to be a transformation in terms of the physical plant of the sector, and you know, I, I look, I look at airports, I look at convention centers, I look at hotels and and motor coaches, and there's going to need to be government incentives to get to where we need to, particularly when it comes to carbon. So until we actually tackle that issue, our industry will still be vulnerable. Um, from a branding and positioning perspective, I like where Canada's going in terms of its passion brand. Uh, so, you know, we could always argue brand and positioning, you know, all of us as destination leaders, we could argue that until the cow comes home. But I think our industry, which grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, does need an overhaul in terms of its physical plant. And I think that's going to take some money. And uh, those are some of the challenges. And then the, the next challenge really is inclusion. We need to make sure that everyone is benefiting across society and that there's deliberate programs in place to help make that happen. I, I so appreciate you saying that. Um, I, I, I'm going to pass the buck here. One of your peers, heretofore unnamed, um, lives in BC, does yoga a lot. Mm -hmm. um, he said it really well. We cannot, we cannot advertise our way out of this crisis. And no. in in past crises, and I think you remember SARS 2003 yeah. in Toronto. In those in that day and age, in a, in a kind of pre digital world it was okay to throw massive amounts of money at tourism advertising. And that seemed to be the path of least resistance. Government stimulated tourism through advertising. Right. That's not going to work this time, is it? No, because that was the days when mass communication and we could impose our brands on the consumer. Those are the days when we all believe just do it and those big, big brands, right? This, this, in this day and age, the consumer is too smart. So you have to have an authentic um, uh, proposition based on the true values of your community. You need to be able to communicate that to those niche segments that will resonate with your proposition and deliberately attract the customer segments that work best for your, 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 your community. And that's not everyone, right? So I think, um, you know, the, 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 the hard part is that we can't advertise out of it because we all know how to do that. The exciting part is that we can build back. And, you know, I, I think our recovery is going to be in concentric rings geographically, right? It's going to be a long time till I'm welcoming guests across the sea um and uh it could be a long time until we have mass gatherings so as those concentric rings slowly build out you know in each concentric ring who's our best customer and how that align with the values of our community and that's our opportunity to focus in on that and then 
know, we may wake up in two or three or four years after doing a bunch of really good work and have a higher value customer base that is more aligned with the community. Uh, and I think that will set us up because what I struggled with previously is as a destination organization, if we do our job right, we maybe touch 15 to 20% of the customers. And there's still all these people that are buying discount packages through various intermediaries. Um, there's still, you know, mass low volume tour business coming in. Um, there's still, I mean, low yield, high volume tour business coming in, my apologies. And there's nothing wrong with that in, in the old days. But when our citizens are expecting so much more um, and we're under higher scrutiny, I think we need to be more deliberate. And that's the opportunity that we have here. And, you know, the private sector will do what the private sector will do. And if they can come to an agreement and market the destination and get the room blocks at a certain rate and make a, a tour series work, that's wonderful. But I think as a destination that sets the brand halo, we need to be truly aspirational and attractive segments that represent the values of our community. Then we're adding, then we're adding value to our, to our citizens and to our elected officials. Well, I, I love the term more deliberate. And it's come up so many times in this crisis um, in discussions about Barcelona, in discussions about over-tourism in, in Paris, in Bruges. Um, what does deliberate tourism look like? What does it look like to the consumer? Well, to me, it looks like, um, you know, I'm, I'm still on the demand generating side, so it's about segmentation. And so, you know, both geographic and psychographic and values-based segmentation, others would argue passions. Um, we're not really a big activities, we're a city. Uh, so it's going after the right customers that will do the best or create the best incremental benefit to our community. Um, so that's how I'm looking at it. And that's how we can be deliberate. Deliberate can also be on the demand, on the supply side. You know, that what we call destination development in terms of working on infrastructure and working on public policy. So when those two things come together through a coherent strategy, I think we can get to a wonderful place. So the, the underwriting ripple current of all this, though, is it all happens in a context of, of digital disruption. And, and it was interesting. A peer said, we're not in digital disrupted, just digital disruption. We're disrupted. How's that changed? How's that changed your role over the last eight years? Well, I think um, this is going to sound kind of uh, contrary to that, but we've put more, more focus on sales. So I think we can actually, um, you know, we're still obviously marketing and, and we still do a lot of work in media and influencer work and we try to align those values. But if we can go after those uh, groups in terms of meetings and conferences and, and I'll throw sports into that as well too, um, that really uh, elevate our brand. Uh, for example, we're going after the Invictus Games. We, we came number two in 2022. We have a good shot at 2024. And that's a very inclusionary event. It's got a great brand halo. It, it aligns with a lot of our values. And we're also a bit of a military town with a naval base. So right. we're welcoming. We're, so that type of bid aligns with our values as a community. So if we keep doing a series of those types of things, um, and then you have other platforms tell your story, I think that is, is helpful. And um, yeah, so, so, so that's one way. And then the other, I think, is just being really deliberate in um, uh, your digital work, your social work, and... Uh, there are tools that we can control such as our blogs and, 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 and who we host and how we brief them. So uh, the Invictus Games, uh, yeah. I'm sure that, that it's not lost on, on Victoria's great-great-great-grandson, oh, great-great-grandson, great-great-great-grandson, that the town that you're hoping to host it in is, is, you know, is the namesake of his great-great-grandmother. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> yeah, no, 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 that was a great bid. And uh, we didn't win this one because um, uh, the, the winning country, Germany, had never hosted it before. But we're told we're in a very strong position for 2024. And uh, so those are the types of opportunities we see to accelerate our brand and drive, of course, that immediate economic impact. So think about this for a second. Three words that you would that you would share and have people put in their mind as they think about a future of tourism in the context of all those other things, alignment, stakeholder engagement, et cetera, but specifically in the context of building more robust, sustainable destinations, what should we go away thinking about as leaders in the industry, as CEOs, as destination executives and managers? Well, I think the first thing is it comes back to strategy and that's an area I'm very comfortable in. Like you, you have to put this at the center of your strategy. It needs to be planned for. Um, sustainability and acceptance isn't just going to happen organically. Um, you can't just, you know, dream about it at night, you know, have your feet land on the floor and it's going to happen. And it, I think the other thing we have to understand is that it's a journey. And as I mentioned off the top, I, I don't proclaim to be an expert in sustainability, but I do proclaim to be on a pretty um, intense journey, uh, one that is driven by the values of our community. And I don't know if I'll ever get to the end of it because I think we're always going to be striving to improve. And the third piece is that we still need revenue. It still needs to be profitable. Our, our um, you know, we can't we can't toss out uh, core underlying business needs. Otherwise, you know, I won't be in this chair very long, and there'll be someone who's only focused on heads and beds, right? So, you know, it, it's walking that road together because I truly believe that it is revenue which allows these types of investments to happen. And if you don't have that year-round foundation of revenue. Um, we, we can't even be having this conversation. And fortunately for the last five or six years, we did. And now we need to build that back up again. Well, Paul, I got to tell you, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I think you, you meld a practical approach with a visionary uh, uh, approach and it's good for the industry. So it's, it's great to talk to you. I will be through 2021 Impact virtual or otherwise. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, pleasure. Thanks, David. Thanks for the thought-provoking questions. It's always an honor.